Welcome back to Delta Waterfowl's The Voice of the Duck Hunter podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by three-time guest, Dr. Andrew Ramey, to provide a quick 15-minute update on the status of highly pathogenic avian influenza. Since our last discussion in September, HPAI has continued its march across North America, impacting a growing list of mammalian and avian species. If bird flu has you concerned, you won't want to miss this discussion. With that introduction, let's bring in today's guest. Andy, welcome back to the Voice of the Duck Hunter podcast. Thanks, Joel. I really appreciate the opportunity to be back. <laughs> yeah, your your dog is appreciative of that uh, of coming back as well. Yeah, he got fired up by the the snowplow and uh, and Bryce. I got to ask. I think this is the third time we've talked. I mean, do you have like a frequent speaker program here? Do I get like a punch card? <laughs> yeah, I think I need to come up with T-shirts with like little I don't know little stars on it or something like that. But yeah, well, Andy, you're the first three time guest. I think you might have been the first two time guest. But hey, let's let's just keep counting and uh, outpace the the competition. But Andy, again, welcome back. Um, Andy is a familiar voice to this podcast, Dr. Andrew Ramey. He's the, the director of the Molecular Ecology Lab at the U.S. Geological Surveys Alaska Science Center in good old Anchorage, Alaska. And we're here to provide a quick update on highly pathogenic avian influenza. Are you ready to go? Uh, yes, sir. We brought you on in, it would have been in April, episode 30, if everyone, anyone wants to listen back. Back in April, we started hearing reports and seeing ourselves, you know, detections of dead or dying snow geese in particular out in the fields on their northward migration this past spring. And so we brought you on as an expert on even influenza to just to kind of give us the history. And that was a longer podcast. We took a really nice deep dive, and I think you did an excellent job. And we had uh, Chris Nikolai, uh, our waterfowl scientist here at Delta, join us on that one. And then we brought you back kind of in, later on in September, episode 37, if, if people want to go back and listen to that one. And, and we kind of, we committed through those podcasts to just keeping the listeners up to date on the, the state of high path even influenza. And because honestly, from April to September to now, high path even influenza continues on and it, it appears to be expanding its geography, its number of species impacted, you know, we're going to continue here. I know you've collected a lot of data from your field station there in Alaska, other banding locations, and those data aren't available yet. But, but Andy, I gave you a shout here last week, and we talked yesterday, that, that Delta, a lot of our field staff, office staff, are, are getting just repeat calls bombarded with, hey, we're getting a lot of, uh, of dead birds. Obviously, those birds aren't tested. But, you know, the speculation is that it's even influenza. So we thought we'd bring you on here and just provide a, a short update. And I suppose, Andy, are you getting overwhelmed with calls or do you find yourself protected from, from the phone ringing? Uh, my phone doesn't ring uh, with submission of carcasses per se, Joel, but uh, there is certainly a lot of interest. I think, uh, you know, there's uh, hunters that are interested, uh, biologists that, that are very interested in, in what's going on. Uh, you know, both waterfowl biologists and uh, biologists working with uh, other species of birds uh, throughout Alaska and elsewhere. Uh, and then uh, here in Alaska, there's a lot of people that rely on birds for uh, a subsistence re resource. So people that um, uh, harvest waterfowl in spring. Uh, Alaska is uh, uh, one of the few states, maybe the only state, where uh, there's a, a legalized spring harvest of, of waterfowl, um, uh, which is a traditional practice here in Alaska. 
So uh, that's a very important resource to some people. And so I think there's people from various communities uh, that really are following the situation closely and, and seeking information about uh, what's going on. Andy, would you mind just kind of providing just a little timeline leading to kind of what you're seeing out on the landscape today? Sure. So uh, historically, it's important to remember that highly pathogenic avian influenza was really a poultry disease. That is, until 2002, this virtually, with very few exceptions, uh, uh, this disease did not exist in wild birds per se. But uh, starting in the early 2000s, there began to be some spillover of highly pathogenic avian influenza uh, from domestic birds uh, into wild birds, uh, leading to disease. And, and over time, those uh, spillovers continue to occur, and it seems uh, the viruses spilling over uh, uh, perhaps evolved such that uh, they became better adapted to being maintained within wild birds. To the point where we are right now, Joel, is that the outbreak that's occurring in North America and, and elsewhere in the world is not only a function of uh, spillover events from uh, hi- of highly pathogenic avian influenza from domestic poultry in the wild birds. That is, highly pathogenic avian influenza is certainly being maintained at some level, perhaps mostly or entirely independently in wild birds uh, from domestic poultry, such that we're really seeing a lot of uh, disease and mortality among wild birds uh, across the landscape uh, here in North America and, and elsewhere. Yeah, I, I remember back in some of our earlier discussions, we weren't quite sure what direction high path avian influenza would go because when it popped up in that 2014 to 2016 timeframe, it disappeared really from, did it disappear completely from the landscape or was it just low levels of occurrence for maybe the next eight years? Well, it's hard to say, Joel. I mean, uh, with the best data that we had, you know, there was an outbreak that affected poultry in uh, 2014 into 2015, and there were wild bird detections concurrently, a grand total of 100 detections in the United States and Canada combined as part of that outbreak. But then in 2016, there was a detection in a mallard in Alaska. And we, when we looked at the genetics of that virus, it actually was a, a, a virus that was from that same outbreak, if you will. So it was maintained in a, a biological reservoir. It continued to evolve, presumably in wild birds, for roughly one year without detection. So it's possible it was maintained at a really low level. What's occurring now seems to be a different introduction. That is, it's not the maintenance of that same influenza virus in uh, North American waterfowl. Uh, per se, this looks uh, rather clearly like it's an introduction, actually multiple introductions in the North America from Europe and East Asia. And so if you go back again, April, September, it's now December. This, again, this we were wondering all the way back, you know, a number of months ago, if this was going to be going away or just kind of maintenance. It appears to be expanding. Now, you know, a longer list of species crossing over into different mammalian species. And then its geographic range has gone quite far south. Can, can you speak to, to any of those topics? Uh, sure. Uh, great question and, and, and topics. When I look at a calendar, Joel, this outbreak now has uh, the first detection as part of this outbreak was almost one year ago, just a, a couple weeks shy thereof. So we're now roughly one year into this outbreak. And, and as you state, the, the situation isn't really better. In fact, I think there's uh, lots of lines of evidence that the situation's 
frankly, worse. That is, there's been uh, a large number of detections in the United States. The number of wild bird detections confirmed by the USDA is more than 4,200. Uh, and again, during that the prior outbreak, the only prior outbreak to affect wild birds in, in North America, there was a grand total of 100 wild bird detections in the United States and Canada and combined. So we're really looking at a, a different scenario. Uh, these detections in wild birds have been across 47 states. And domestic birds, I believe it's 46 states. So we're talking uh, a wide geographic range of uh, detections of highly pathogenic uh, avian influenza in both wild and domestic birds uh, across the United States, as well as in all of the Canadian provinces, I should mention as well. As you uh, state, these detections uh, were not only uh, early in the outbreak and then are petering out. I, uh, detections are uh, continuing to occur um, in recent uh, months and weeks. Uh, the USDA has recently conducted a rather intensive active uh, surveillance um, uh, in the fall, and I believe uh, those efforts are, in fact, ongoing. And uh, they've uh, confirmed numerous detections among apparently healthy uh, waterfowl that have been sampled as part of uh, banding programs or uh, through hunter harvest. So uh, this virus is really uh, fairly geographically widespread across the landscape in a variety of wild birds and including waterfowl that I think uh, listeners to this podcast are particularly interested in. Okay. So some of the detections are, 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 are birds that are, that are, that are dead and have been tested as a result. But then what you've just said there is that live, apparently healthy birds have, are testing positive for HPAI through monitoring and surveillance efforts. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, uh, the well-stated Joel that, uh, there certainly, uh, numerous uh, detections that are occurring uh, on uh, from dead birds on the landscape, bir- birds that people are, are clearly identifying as uh, sick or diseased or, or that have died. But yes, there's also uh, many detections that are occurring among apparently live healthy birds as well, uh, particularly live and healthy waterfowl. Okay. So then the geograph- geographic distribution has grown with this most recent outbreak. How far south have some of the, some of the records been? Uh, well, at this point, uh, throughout uh, many southern states in, in the United States, but uh, thinking more uh, geographically uh, broader, uh, there's recently been detections in uh, the northern neotropics. And what I mean by that is uh, Mexico and into South America, uh, Colombia, Venezuela, Ecuador, and Peru. Wow. And so that that's new. That didn't happen the last go-round. That is very much new. So uh, uh, these, uh, if confirmed, these would be the first uh, detections of this, uh, uh, what we call Goose Guangdong lineage uh, uh, virus that's been uh, spilling over periodically and and in some cases maintained in wild birds uh, since the early 2000s. Okay. Well, it's definitely, this is a, a, an emerging, growing situation, something that, you know, we're going to keep bringing you on here. So I think we're getting a lot of phone calls because there are literally, if you scour social media, hundreds or thousands of conversations of people saying, yep, there's 50 here, there's a thousand there, or some number, you know, that's that's not small. Now, of course, those birds aren't detected or aren't, or have not been sampled. So we don't really know what they died from, but I think it'd be fair to speculate that some portion of them are dying from avian influenza. I think it's important for us to to emphasize to people that according to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, the risk to humans is still low. It's unchanged. Is that that's your understanding as well? Yeah, that's my understanding. Uh, I just conferred their, with their webpage uh, this morning, actually. 
Okay, and so there's still been only one reported human case in the United States, and I think that was back in April. That person was sick, and they fully recovered from everything that I read. So it's good to know that that's unchanged, and of course, people are keeping track of that. Some of the precautions to take, again, we're, both you or I are citing the CDC on some of the personal precautions to take, and since the southern states in the United States are still, you know, or they're in the thick of their hunting seasons, what are some of the precautions that that are, are being communicated? Some of the precautions are um, when people are out hunting, they should uh, first and foremost not hand the wild birds that are obviously sick or are found dead. Uh, and then after uh, they get done with a hunt, uh, to wash their hands with soap and water, especially after the, the handle game. When they're uh, processing their birds, uh, I understand like the USDA to recommend um, uh, keeping a, a, as clean a surface as possible and uh, disinfecting surfaces after processing game. Uh, wearing disposable gloves might be a good idea for folks. Um, if people have poultry, uh, I think there's a, a whole other suite of recommendations that they might want to follow. Yeah, that, that's some of the information that I've gathered from uh, the USDA and CDC websites. Yeah, it, it's funny. It's, um, you know, HPAI, like COVID, it's such an individual response. People, there'll be a wide variety of precautions that people take from from no precautions to possibly not hunting. I've heard some people talking like that, but I do think it's interesting. You know, I, I did some reading and, you know, how how does a bird, how does a human get infected? And, and what I read was that infected birds shed the flu virus through their saliva, mucus, or feces. And then humans, human infections can happen when the virus gets into a person's eyes, nose, or mouth. And so that's, you know, I, I bring that up simply because those precautions are don't eat, don't smoke, wear gloves, don't rub your eyes, and, and things like that, and, and look for to avoid cross-contamination. And this one, I, I laughed at it before, but I think it's important for everyone to hear this one. People that cook duck no, notoriously cook it rare, medium rare, and we've always said for years, don't overcook game. One of the recommendations is to cook it to an internal temperature of 165 degrees. Need to again, that's a, a personal choice as to what internal temperature, but again, the CDC recommends cooking to an internal temperature of 165 degrees. Yeah, I can uh, state that the empirical data uh, just shows that uh, heat deactivates virus. For those hunters out there that are going, hey, should I be doing something different? You know, all of the the expert opinion and CDC reports say, yeah, take some of those personal precautions, but no one has said, don't go hunting, don't take your dog. Just just take some of those precautions and, and stay the course. I think since April, September, December, you know, the, at least from a human perspective, it has not changed. All right. Well, I think we're going to, like I said, we're going to, I'm going to uh, live up to this one and we'll keep it a little bit short. Andy, we'll get you back on after the, the new year and we'll do a, a data dive, learn about, you know, adult versus juvenile infections, possibly. We'll talk about different species that, uh, and susceptibility, possibly. We'll talk about some of the monitoring and surveillance efforts that are out there. And we can talk again, you know, another month or two from now, probably another month from now, we'll talk about how uh, HPAI has changed. Hopefully things start to slow down, but I guess until then, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Joel, if I might offer uh, one more thing for listeners, that if they're keen to 
uh, continue to follow uh, the outbreak and detections in, in wild birds. A couple great resources would be the U.S. Department of Agriculture website, the USDA reports wild bird detections online. That website's updated periodically so folks can follow when and where wild bird detections are occurring. Another great resource for uh, folks uh, that hunt or are interested in what's going on in Canada would be a similar website maintained by the Canada Food Inspection Agency. They have a, a dashboard that's very useful for uh, tracking this high-path AI outbreak. And then uh, finally, the U.S. Geological Survey National Wildlife Health Center maintains a website that has a distribution map uh, that plots where detections are occurring in, in wild birds, in domestic poultry, and in wild mammals. So uh, people can get information from uh, that website as well. So these websites have uh, just a, a wealth of information. Detections that I've been uh, referencing as part of this podcast are reported on those websites so people can keep themselves uh, updated uh, throughout this outbreak. No, that's perfect. I, I think it's fascinating. You know, we're a waterfowl organization. We tend to talk about ducks and geese exclusively. But looking at some of the websites that you just shared, and, and we'll make sure to have these posted in the show notes, but looking at the list of mammalian species, possum, fox, raccoon, harbor seals, fishers, dolphin, one dolphin, but then to get into the to the avian species, vultures, hawks, eagles, you know, it's just the list goes on and on. And so this definitely does have a kind of a shotgun effect on on bird species, and it's not laser-like and just affecting ducks or geese. So it is something that um, self-educate, maybe you could even consider it a form of entertainment, doing some studying on this and, and learning. We are definitely living something for the first time, and, and uh, I appreciate your time, Andy, and wading into this conversation. I guess with that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks again for your time, and we'll be in touch. Thanks, Joel. Until next time. You bet. Take care, Andy.